Well, the first Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of hope. And hope, right, is this, the, the promise of this long-awaited Savior that, that he, he is coming, that he is entering into our world. Hope we can find him. So I'm so glad to be with you today. I've, it's, like I, it's like I've been on a, like a, like a three-week three sabbatical. It's been nice. I said to a group last week, I've been kissing my wife in service, holding her hand. It's been nice. So just so you know, I, I didn't get a kiss her in service this morning, so I'll have to do that when I get home. But, but so all that to say is it's great to be with you today. And, and I believe that as we move into this Advent series, I hope, I hope that what this series does is is not just helps you celebrate this season, but helps us to see the complete trust that we can have in our God and the confidence that we can have in him because he is a God who never lies. He always comes through and he always comes through in his timing and his timing is always perfect. Hope. Hope is a funny thing Hope is a thing, as we look at the narrative of Scripture, which is sort of crystallized as the main theme of the entirety of the Bible. And it's the main theme of the entirety of the Bible in the people in which the Bible speaks of. There are people that are hopeful, and there are people that are hopeless. There are people that are confused in their hope, and there's all kinds of in-between. And the question that hope makes us ask ourselves is, Am I hopeful in the things in which I should be hopeful in? See, hope is this thing in which we find in this world one way or another, and everybody's looking for hope. Hope is something in which we put supreme value into and which we believe is going to come through in some shape or form for us. Anybody in this room ever put hope in something that did not come through for you? Yes. And hope is this thing in which we can look for horizontally or vertically. And it's a choice that each and every one of us have to make. And I would guess from your response a moment ago that everyone in this room has tried to find hope horizontally. We look to the left or to the right. We look to something and say that if I put my full confidence in this, it's going to come through for me. But the reality is, last I checked, this world is shifting, and literally in Alaska, shifting, right? It is changing, it is moving. What is the governing figures now will not be the governing figures a year from now. What is true for today will not necessarily be true for tomorrow. Life is shifting and it is changing, and we are all longing for hope, but yet we don't know quite where to find it. But if we look vertically, I believe, look upward, we can find hope. We can find hope in our creator, the one who made us, the one who built us with this deep desire for hope in us. But see, I believe that hope, it's not just something in which magically kind of happens or appears in our life. I believe that hope is something in which we go after. I believe hope is something in which we can find Jesus said that if you will seek me and you will seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. See, I believe that hope is found in Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that hope is found in Jesus. Tell him again like you mean it. Hope is found in Jesus. There we go. All right. See, I believe that we can find hope 
in the person of Jesus. The psalmist will say it like this all the time in different ways. Hope in God. O soul, why are you at such unrest? Hope in God. I believe that hope is something that is sort of hard to grab a hold of, but once you do and once you find it, you'll never lose it. And so, again, the question is, where do you find hope? And if I could, just for a second, press into that a little bit harder. Where do you find hope? You know, there's this thing that um, happens. I'm a father of four daughters. I have one daughter on the way, five girls in my life, six women. And so um, there's this thing that happens to me. And I also, um, here at, at the Chapel of North Canton, we have a a staff team and those I lead and I've sort of been in leadership roles most of my life and so if any of you have been in any role there's this thing that you may share with me of that I don't like that my girls do or people that I work with do and I call it the yeah yeah principle and uh, the yeah yeah principle works like this you say hey I want you to do this and when people yeah yeah you what they say is yeah yeah and then what do they do they don't do it, right? And so it's just like complete disregard. And it just makes me so mad, right? I believe we yeah, yeah, God all the time. We hear principles like this. We, 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 we go to, I mean, y'all are good people. You go to church on Sundays, right? We're, we're hungry for God. We, we want more of him in our life. But the question is, where do you find hope? It's not that simple of a question, It's actually a profoundly difficult question. What discouraged you this week? Somewhere in there is an answer to where do you find hope. Over the last 10 years, what is something that has broken you? Inside of that is somewhere where I found hope. And because hope couldn't be found there, it crushed me maybe harder than it should have. I don't stand before you as a man today that has ever not found myself in a place of misplaced hope. So maybe today we could come to a place where we don't yeah, yeah, God. We don't act like we have it all together, but we allow God to speak into our lives about our hope and where it is found. Because I believe when we let God do work in these places, It is profound, the results in our life and the peace that can be ours in him. So if you have a Bible, if you would turn, if um, you haven't already, we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33 is where we'll be reading from this morning. Um, We've already read two sections of scripture as we began our time together. And the first section that kind of sets up this section that we'll be in is Isaiah 7.14. So I'm just going to read that quick for you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So, in this, kind of connected to Luke, there's a promise. And the promise doesn't just go back to this Isaiah text 700 years, but it goes back to the very foundations, the beginning, the, man, the moment that man and woman sinned against God. God made a promise that there would be one that would come that would crush and kill and deliver people from sin, death, and hell, and there would be one, a promised one, that would come. But here, 700 years prior or so, we see in Isaiah this promise 
that the Lord himself will give us a sign. Behold, a virgin, a woman, the betrothed in marriage shall conceive. She shall labor. She shall bear a son. And she sh- and, and <clears throat> shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So in this verse, what we see is this promise of a savior who will come, who will be born, and who will remedy the world's greatest problem, and that is sin, death, and hell. But into the world in which Jesus was born, where we find ourselves in this text, I think it's important to know a little bit of the context of where we find ourselves. In the context of the world in which Jesus was born, our world, in this time in history, it was a time when the world had forgotten. It had been lulled to sleep in daily survival. Kingdoms were raging and taking over. Governments were confused. Religious rituals were the way of the day. Hardships were increasingly created by harsh governments, the building of kingdoms. And seemingly in this time in history, all hope was gone. There were no more prophets and everything had changed. Nothing was like it once was for the people of God and in this world. See, I don't know if our world is that much different in some ways. So I believe that it's easy to move into a season and time where we have been lulled to sleep in daily survival. Anybody ever get caught in the trap of just trying to make it to tomorrow? Religious rituals, that the things I do for God are just kind of a part of my life. They've lost their meaning. They've lost their substance. They're full of yeah, yeahs and next steps that are never really taken. See, in this time in history, they were taxed about probably at minimum 80 cents to the dollar. In this time in history, that it wouldn't have been weird for Joseph and Mary as they walked to Bethlehem to see men crucified along the road by the harsh tyranny of government that surrounded them. See, I believe we live in a day where there's more brutality than we even want to know in our world. And even the news, they don't cover quite all the brutal things. They just wet our appetites with puppy dogs and corrupt governments. But our world has been and is and will always be a mess until Jesus restores all things back to himself. See, the truth and the promise in Isaiah 7 is that in divine timing alone, a child would be born, born of a virgin, and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. The anticipated one would humble himself and step down into this earth, Philippians 2.5. The fulfillment of prophecy, the remedy for our sins, he would come and take the punishment that was due us in his life. The hope of humanity, Jesus himself, in life and in death would come. So maybe this morning we will hear about hope freshly. Maybe for some of you the first time. And I hope that each and every one of us will be given the hope we need to overcome wherever we find ourselves today. So listen as I read Luke 1, 30 through 33 again. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. So here the angel has come and is speaking to Mary. Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb 
and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Father, would you reveal to us all that you have in this text for us? Lord, would you bring greater hopefulness in our hearts and lives? And Lord, help us to recognize that which we are truly hopeful in. And Lord, might you transform our hearts and our minds to find our hope in you alone. Because Jesus, we believe that only in you can we truly find hope in this world. Lord, be with me. Use me in any way you see fit today. I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So within this passage, where we find ourselves is, uh, is really there's these three large truths about where hope is found. And these kind of three large truths of where hope is found. The first we see, it's in his position. In his position. So when we say his, this is Jesus. In his position, it says, it says in in the text, that he will be great. Now, that's just a few words. It doesn't seem to be substantial, but that one phrase, that he will be great, is enormous in what it means and the ramifications for who the person of Jesus is. See, this is an adjective, great, and it's a reference to his being and his nature. It is something exclusively that only he can claim and only he has. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to watch sports, almost like sinfully. I got to watch myself a little bit. And so so I I love sports and I love to follow athletes and all kinds of things that are going on. And there are some elite, elite athletes in our day and time. Did anybody watch football yesterday? I mean, we saw some elite athletes yesterday. And in this kind of elite athlete time, we tend to raise these men up and these women up to a place of their greatness because of their athletic ability. But one of the things that is clear about these men and women's athletic ability is that being great in one thing doesn't mean you're great in everything, right? One of the greatest running backs in the NFL is now exempt from being in the NFL as of today because he has complete corrupt moral character in the way in which he treats women. In the NFL, as of late, I'm not sure because of the character of the NFL, but just because of the climate of society, distances themselves from such things. There is no one in this world that will be or ever has been of the quality of character and content of the, of the person of Jesus Christ. And we will exalt people all over our world and society and we will see glimpses of greatness and that might be glimpses of greatness in the the way in which someone is charitable. That might be glimpses of greatness in the way in which someone uses their gifts and skills in this world. But greatness is too simply defined if we use it by one characteristic or one way of thinking. But in this, what we see is that Jesus is set apart. He possesses a greatness that cannot be possessed by another because Jesus, he is the highly exalted one. He is the apex of humanity. He is unmatched in glory. He is unparalleled. The darkness mocks, yet he will crush the darkness. He is great and greatly to be praised. He stands alone 
His position right now where he sits in heaven, this isn't Easter, but just let me tell you, Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. He is exalted on high. He is seated above all things. Everything is underneath his feet. He will crush all forces underneath. Those who rebel against him, he will cast away forever. Those who submit in repentance and faith will be accepted into his love and grace forever. But Jesus is highly exalted above all things. And everything is under his feet, including you and me. And there is nothing that is great compared to him. He will be great. See, this is, <clears throat> this is pre-ascension. This is looking toward his birth and the promise of his birth. So just let me add something to this verse because I think it's important. He is great. He is great. He is alive. And his greatness can overpower your life. And his greatness can free you and redeem you and restore you. You cannot do it on your own. I cannot do it on my own. He is the highly exalted one. Hope is found in his position. There is none like him and there never will be. Second, there's hope that is found in his name. It says, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be called the Son of the Most High. His name, Jesus, will be called Son of the Most High. Jesus, the uniqueness of his name is that he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1.21. That he will save his people from their sins. Jesus Simple soul mission was to come for the glory of the Father to redeem men and women and children back to himself that they might be saved and redeemed and rescued from the tyranny of sin. But here we go. He will save his people from their own sin, Jesus. So question that we need to ask ourselves frequently is this. What is sin? Well, there's two ways to think about sin. Um, more than two ways, but two ways for this morning. There's sins of omission and there's sins of commission. And so the sins of omission work like this, that God has clearly asked us to do this, that, and the other. And what we do is we say, ah, yeah, yeah, not really for me. Your grace is sufficient. I'm going to live and do what I want. But see, there's this real key to the Christian life. If you really want to live the Christian life, you, we, have to, we have to come to a realization that there are some things that everyone else can do. Everybody else can gossip. Everybody else can treat others harshly. Everybody else can seek for power and position and authority. Everybody else can look for rewards on earth. Everybody else can do that, but you cannot if you are in Christ Jesus. Because see, the sins of omission take me to a place of saying that I have a Lord, I have a Savior, I have a Redeemer, I have one who rules and reigns over my life, and others can do whatever they want, but I will live with his authority over my life. See, others can do all kinds of things, but if you are under the rule and reign of Jesus, you can not. But each of us have to come to that conclusion of our own and willfully surrender underneath that premise. And then there's the sins of commission. The sins of commission work like this, is <clears throat> I just willfully disobey God's rule and reign in my life. And I go after things that I ought not go after. Sex, money, 
all these other things. Those are the big ones that we always talk about. We can just boil them down maybe into these two, pride and selfishness that allow life to make everything consumed with me. Terrell Owen said it like this, best, um, this is an NFL, I'm, I'm beating up on the NFL today, didn't know I was going to do that. And so Terrell Owen said it like this, I love me some, anybody know the end? Me. I love me some me, classic quote from Terrell Owens. And we would like to distance ourselves and say, no, no, we're not like Terrell Owens. But the reality is we do love us some us. It's in each and every one of us. It's really the root of sin is that we love ourselves far too much and we think far too highly of ourselves. And when we are captivated with the greatness of Jesus, we don't think quite as highly of ourselves. Because see, there was one who had to be crushed for our sins. And there was blood that had to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so what does that cause us to do? Humble ourselves underneath the rule and the reign of our God. So Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. If you haven't been saved from your sins today, he can save you from your sins. Your willful rebellion against him if you will turn in repentance and faith. Repentance, recognizing that I have went against your rule and reign in my life, God. Faith saying, I desire to live now in my life under your rule and reign. It'll be the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. Hope is found in his name. Literally, right, Jesus, right, was born of the seed of God. And this is what this is calling, that that you shall call his name Jesus. He will be called the son of the most high Right? He, is, he is Messiah, and this is this name Jesus, Son of the Most High. He is the, the Messiah. This is the spoken of before the Davidic lineage because being the Son of God is what makes him the divine Messiah. He is placed in the promised lineage. And so what this means about Jesus is that he is, again, he is different. He is not like you and I. This baby that is born is born with divine He is born coming to save and redeem the people of God because he is the only one who can. He is sinless and he is spotless and he will maintain it until the day of redemption. So Jesus' name distinguishes him because it's rooted in his nature. In Acts 19, there's a text um, and there's these seven men that call on the name of Jesus to cast out demons. The name of the men are called the sons of Sceva. And so if you want to know who they are, their dad was Sceva. And so, if you didn't know that, and so they call out demons. And they saw that there's something powerful about this name of Jesus. They saw it with the apostles. They saw what the disciples were doing. And so they, they, they said, we're going to do what they're doing because this seems very, very powerful. And so they begin to call on these demons to come out and they begin to do this work for their own applause. And what happens when they do this is nothing happened. They couldn't call out these demons in the name of Jesus because they didn't believe in Jesus. They had not given their lives to follow him. They were trying to use his name in some magical way to wave a wand and make it happen. So what was different? Well, the demons answered that question to the sons of Sceva. They said, who in the world are you? Paul, we know. You, we do not. They had not given their life to God. They had not given their life to Jesus, and therefore they were powerless. But the men who called on the name of Jesus 
who had been redeemed by him lived with power. See, there's power in the name of Jesus. And when you call on the person of Jesus, the son of the most high, and he comes, he will always come with power and majesty. Because see, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess him as Lord. At the name of Jesus, I said this earlier, at the name of Jesus, demons will mock and scoff. But at the name of Jesus, they will flee and be crushed. There is no one on heaven and earth that is more powerful than the person of Jesus Christ. And if anyone has experienced his power, say amen, hallelujah, I can get down with that, something, right? Jesus, just his name alone, is filled with power. And we know this simply by history. There's no other name that has been more mocked and hated in time and history than the very name of Jesus. You see, Satan began an insurrection against God in the heavenlies, and he was cast from heaven, and he continues in that insurrection against God, and he continues in his recruiting of those to follow him, and they will only follow him, he thinks, to worship himself, but they will only follow him to the pits of hell. Because, see, there is only power in the name of Jesus. He is the name above all names. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There is none other than him. And so we see in the passage that there is power, right? There is hope in, that is found in his position. There is hope that is found in his name. And there is hope that is found in his reign. There is hope that is found in his reign. It says at the end of 32 into 33, and the Lord will give him, give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So there's four things kind of to pick apart as we look at this section. The first is the Lord will, God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is the promised, promised lineage, the window into reality, the proof of promise. And so in Matthew, we see this lineage that is spelled out in the generations that are coming to the birth of Jesus. And what makes this different, and you know, the question is, why does Matthew give this lineage? Why is the lineage important? Well, it's important like this. So I read to my kids mostly every night, the, my wife does every night probably, and so she's a little better at that, but I read to them, and I read to them stories. Anybody read stories to little kids? Ever done that? These stories start with words like, right, once upon a time. They're, one of my favorite stories is, is, um, goes something like this. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of a cow jumping over the moon, and there were three little bears sitting on chairs and a pair of men, right? right? Anybody know this book? It's Goodnight Moon, right? Favorite. I actually, sometimes I open other books and I just start quoting Goodnight Moon and it makes them really mad. I think that's what you call exasperating your children. Uh, and so, um, so we do this sometimes. I'm not sure there's actually a bowl full of mush. I don't know if there's a quiet old lady who's whispering hush. It's not true, right? It's a story. Once upon a time, these are stories. Stories have happened in all of time in history. And I believe that today, even with many of us in this room, there is a question of, is the story of God just a story? Is Christmas just a folktale? 
that Americans and some around the world like to celebrate and make a little bit too much of. Matthew, in the lineage, says this is not a story. This is reality. There's a real bloodline. There's a real lineage that Jesus comes from. And this is a divine lineage. And it's a lineage that is unsuspected. The people in it, you would have never put in it altogether. There are, there, are those, there are adulterers, there are prostitutes, there are men and women and all kinds of people from all different walks of life that are in this lineage, Jew and Gentile. There's all these different people and God is making this large proclamation, one, that Jesus is real and he really came and he's from a real bloodline and two, he's from a bloodline of unlikely suspects because he came to redeem unlikely suspects. See, the story of Jesus and what the Bible is proclaiming is this is real and this is true. Anybody done any ancestry research in your life? My dad, he is big time into this stuff. We got him a present a few years ago. It was called Ancestry.com. And so we gave, that was our present to dad. We got him Ancestry.com. And to my, to my mom, we got her a present that, that he could call Debbie and talk about it so she didn't have to listen to him talk about it anymore. And so that was our present to mom and dad for Christmas. Um, but my dad was speaking, and we found out that we have descendants from Ohio. And so if you don't know this about me, I'm, I grew up in, in central Iowa. And so as people were traveling across the nation, a group of my family stopped right here in Ohio, and they're up by Sandusky area. And we went to a graveyard, and we found at this graveyard, we found seven generations from me right back, minors, of my lineage right here in Ohio, right actually close to where you grew up, Wayne, right? So maybe they knew each other way back then. So... <clears throat> See, that guy that was in that grave and his whole family, those are, that's real bloodline. That's real descendants. There's something about bloodline, like ancestry, and what, what the text of Scripture is proclaiming is this is real. This is promise. There's a, this isn't a fairy tale. These are actual people. And God gave an incredible lesson. And the incredible lesson is that we all have access to God through the bloodline of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the text continues. It says that he will reign over the house of Jacob, verse 33. The house of Jacob was a traditional term to describe Israel, roots, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the house of Israel, the people of God. He will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. Jesus is the final Davidic king, the Messiah. No more line, no more lineage, No more prophets, no more priests, no more kings. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the priest of priests. He is the final and consummate of all that God had established. And he will reign forever. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, summary is this. There is one like the son of man. He is given an everlasting kingdom. The everlasting kingdom, right, is the kingdom, it says in the text, his kingdom will never end. The kingdom of God that is realized in the coming of Jesus and is to be consummated at his return and will continue forever. Jesus is the forever king and his rule and reign is forever. And so with this comes a, a reality in our lives, And this reality, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, it says, all good things must come to an end, right? And we believe that's true. Like in life, all good things must come to an end. 
So whatever season you're in, right, maybe it's a great season right now, every season in life will come to an end. Anybody live a little bit, can testify to that? Like every good season, right, it comes to an end. That's true in this world, but it's not true for our Savior. There is no end to him. There is no end in growing up. So just to poke into you a little bit, if, if you're averse to change, if you don't like things changing, I've got really bad news for you. Change is the most normative thing in a Christian's life. Scripture says it like this, be conformed into his image. So being conformed means that I am increasingly changing and growing. It doesn't stop. It says that by the renewing of your minds, you will show yourself approved. Like by the changing of our minds, the shaping and the shifting and the way I think and the way I see this world, by the constant shaping and shifting of this, I am increasingly being transformed into him. It says, Apostle Paul writes it like this, that he might fill all and be in all, meaning that there are parts and pieces of my life where I need greater filling, where I need greater, where I, where I need greater instruction in my life, where I need to bring it under his lordship. And so what is, what's happening in this word, what's happening is that this reign and rule of God, we are growing up into in this world and one day will forever. So if you don't like changing, Christianity is going to be very, very challenging for you. And so for those of you who have been turned off to Christians, let me just say something to you. I am sorry. I am sorry that we have showed you anything other than that Christianity is, being, is a person being shaped and changed. I apologize for our arrogance and for acting like we have it all together and sort of acting as though we are some sort of plastic people. Because you're in a church right now. Raise your hand if you got some broken things that Jesus is working on. Raise it. You got it? Anybody? We're not that kind of church. We're a church that wants to continually and progressively be conformed to the image of our Savior. And we are a church that is embracing change as a normative way of the Christian life. There's another word that's very normative in the Christian life. We see it all through the scripture. The word is Repentance. Oftentimes when we think of repentance, we think of repentance as this really bad thing when you do something really, really wrong and then you got to make it right. And we're sort of conditioned with this. I do it to my own kids. When they do something really, really bad, what do we make them do? We're like, you got to tell everybody sorry in this house. Man, the other day, yesterday, I had, I, had my, I had three of my girls in the car and they were all like, it was like this chain of events. One person said this and then it was like this torrent of terrible, right? And so we just went back to the roots and we were just repenting to everyone and forgiving everyone in the house. So you did this and so you need, like, what'd you do wrong? What'd you do wrong? What'd you do wrong? We just unwrapped the tornado, right? We need to embrace a repentance. It is the most normal thing a Christian does. It's like breathing. And say, Father, forgive me for thinking this. Forgive me for acting like this. Father, forgive me. I want to stay under your reign. I want to stay under your rule. I've diverted from this and that. And Jesus, I place my faith and my trust in you. I believe that your way is better than mine. Repentance and faith, it is the norm of the Christian, in the Christian life. See, all things, good things, they come to an end. And true in this world, but not true. All things on earth will come to an end and Jesus will never have an end. Jesus, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, and to conclude, this is what he said. He says, oh, that you would know the hope to which you have been called. 
And I hope that this Christmas season, as we walk through this together, that we would increasingly move into the hope to which we've been called. We've been called into a hope because of the position of our Savior. We've been called into a hope because of the name of our Savior. We've been called into a hope because of the reign of our Savior. And I believe this morning that what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives is he wants to heal, he wants to comfort, he wants to bring hope. I don't know where you are today, but I would guess there's some people in this room that need healed. When I say healed, I mean in these like deep innermost places where there's levels of brokenness and distrust and comfort and it causes us to push people away and to walk in ways we ought not walk. These places where we need healed. And I believe that when our hope is found in Jesus, when we press into him, I believe that he can heal us. Raise your hand if you've experienced the healing power of Jesus in your life. I believe that he wants to comfort us. And I believe that right now in our lives, there's some stuff going on in some people's lives where you just need comfort knowing that it's going to be okay. And I believe that if you'll press yourself into Jesus, it might not look how you want to, but I believe this to be true. In the end, you're going to be okay because you can find hope in him. And he is real. He is not dead. He is alive and he is present and he will come and he will meet with you and he will be with you in your greatest time of trial and struggle. And I say that on the authority of God's word. He is a comforter. And I believe that he is full of hope. And I believe today more than ever, we just simply need to find our hope in Jesus. In an ever-shifting and changing world in which we know that we can't find hope in today, simply say to him, I find my hope in you. Let's pray. Father, Would you help us to respond well to your word today? Jesus, we believe that you are our hope. We believe that life is found in you. We believe that there is hope. There is hope in you. That there is hope in your position. That you are the great one. That there is hope in your name. Jesus, I pray in your name right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for those that need healing, Lord, that you would bring it. In your name, Jesus, I pray for those that need comforted, that you would bring comfort. In your name, Jesus, I pray now that those that need hope would find it. And Lord, I pray that you would bind all works of evil against the men and women in this room that need comfort, healing, and hope. And that you'd meet them where they are. That even as we sing this song, that you'd bring hope, bring comfort, and you'd bring healing into their heart and lives. Jesus, we believe that hope is found in your reign. So for the man, the woman, the child in this room that has never place their hope in you that has never recognized that they are rebelling against your rule and your reign and have gone their own way I pray that today Jesus you would give them the strength courage to repent of their rebellion and to place 
their faith exclusively in you for the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their soul. And for those that have believed, help us to freshly just commit our life to your rule and your reign. And in it, might we find all the healing and the comfort and the hope that you so, so willingly want to pour out upon our lives. So whether it's at these altars or in seats, Lord, help us to not leave too abruptly, but help us to respond to your word today. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.